0: Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where
1: we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of CodeNewbie. And I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So last week, we started chapter seven of Pat Shaughnessy's Ruby Under a Microscope, and this week, we finish it. I think this might be the shortest chapter yet, Saran. What do you think? I think so too. Yeah, I
0: remember getting to the end and being like, oh, okay, I guess that's the end of that. Yeah, I'm also sure we
1: haven't finished... And a chapter before within two episodes. But anyway,
0: Uh, definitely not. (laughs)
1: Anyway, good stuff. So, we're going to discuss how Ruby implements hash functions and also hash optimization in Ruby 2.0. And I think there are a couple of other experiments and tidbits amongst that as well.
0: And remember to follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club. And if you're reading along and you're on Twitter, tweet at us and let us know what you think of the book so far. We'd love to hear from
1: you. So, how did you find finishing up chapter seven? It was pretty good. It was pretty straightforward. Um, I didn't find it too exciting
0: because I think the the interesting parts of the hash and the way things are structured and set up, we've kind of already gone through in the beginning of it. This is kind of like, a, here are some
1: additional little things. Um, so overall, it was good. It was solid. How about you? Yeah, I think I'm pretty much on the same page as you because we just deep dive into things that we were already introduced mm-hmm. to last time. So we were introduced into the main mechanics. So there wasn't anything new. It was more of a continuation. What was quite interesting was the, the Ruby 2.0 optimization as a, oh, yeah, cool. Yes. But, yeah. Yes. So I'm, I'm on the same page as you.
0: Yeah, when we get to, to that part, we'll go into a little bit more. But I remember when I got to that, I thought, uh-oh, don't tell me that <laughs> everything we learned so far was fake and then we're totally doing this other thing. But it wasn't
1: like that, so it was okay. It was okay. It was like a little extra same thing, but just a little little extra for our small hashes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So shall we get started? Let's do it. So we
0: start with the section that reads how Ruby implements hash functions. And so here we talk generally about this idea of using a hash table, but we kind of hand waved over the actual function itself that helps us uh, implement that. And so in this section, we're gonna actually get into what that hash function is and how it operates. So Pat starts off by doing a quick recap of what we've already been through. So here we talk about how we calculate the bin index by taking the internal hash function, which we're gonna go into more detail about, which takes a argument called key, and then we do that modulus bin count. And here we give an example where the bin index might be two and that equals hash taking in the symbol key modulus 11. And so in figure seven dash nine, we do another graphic recap of how everything works. And this is just repeated from figure seven dash two. And we start with the R hash on the left. And it has a table which points to the ST table. And here we have a couple different things like type num bins, num entries, and the thing we really care about, which is bins. And then the bins pointer points to 11 bins. And here, if we go to bin number two, that points to an st table entry. And finally, that's where we see our actual key value pair that we're trying to store. So it's just a quick overview of what we've already talked about. And so now we're going to dig into the actual hash function itself. So in listing 7-5, Pat shows us how we can actually call that hash function ourselves. So if we go into IRB, we take the string ABC and call .hash. We get a very, very long number. I'm going to read it really fast. 3277525029751053763. And then we can call hash on a bunch of other stuff. So if we call it on string abd, we get another set of numbers. If we call it on an integer, so one dot hash, we get yet another set. If we call it on two dot hash, we get yet another set of uh, another value. And they're all still very long and they're um, pretty sure all integers. But what we wanna note here is that even when the values look very similar, so when we have abc, the string abc.hash compared to the string abd.hash, the numbers are very, very different. So that part, you know, just because they they look similar in value doesn't mean they're gonna have very similar hash values. But what's important is that we always get back the same integer value for the same input data. So if we call abc.hash over and over and over again, we're gonna get back the same number. So here we talk through the actual steps for how Ruby's hash function works for most objects anyway, most Ruby objects. So we start by saying that when we call that hash method, Ruby finds the default implementation in the object class. And you can overwrite this if you want, but it has its default implementation. And then when you do that, the C code used by the object class's implementation of the hash method gets the C pointer value for the target object. I think I read that like three times before I was like, okay, sure. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And that means that we get the actual memory address of that object's R value structure. And essentially that gives us like the unique ID for that object. And then the final step is that Ruby passes that pointer value through a very complex C function, which is the, the hash function. And that scrambles the bits into a value and gives us a pseudo random integer in a repeatable way. So it was interesting because you know the whole point of going into the hash function how it works is to demystify it a little bit but it still feels like a mystery because it sounds like the bulk of it really happens in the C function which we're not really going to get into. Yes. Yeah. And then here uh, it talks about how when we are dealing with strings and arrays, it actually iterates through each character in the string and every element of the array and calculates a cumulative hash value, which makes sense because if if any of those strings change or any of those array values change, then we want to have a different unique hash value. So it would recalculate everything and be able to detect if it actually changed. And we get a little bit more technical here near the end of this section when we talk about how For Ruby 1.9 and 2.0, we use a hash function called MurmurHash, which was invented by Austin Appleby in 2008. It's so weird how, like, recently Mm. these dates are. You know, every time Mm -hmm. I think of, like, invented by, I'm thinking, like, 1920s. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it's so weird. It's, like, 2008. Um, And it's called MurmurHash because it uses two algorithms, multiply and rotate. Uh, and there's a link in here to learn a little bit more about murmur hash as well. And here, and this is the the part that, um, that you thought was really interesting. We talk about how in Ruby 1.9 and 2.0, when we initialize that murmur hash, we use a random seed value... That is, reinitialize each time you start Ruby, which means that in even though in the book we know what the hash value is for the string ABC, if I were to start my own IRB and try to find the same hash value, um, I I wouldn't get the same value. I would get a different value. But within that same Ruby process, if I were to call hash on ABC over and over and over again, I would get the same value.
1: You know, random point, not related to the book, but you made the comment yeah. about the 2008 date. And I got me thinking, yeah, when you hear invented, you're used to seeing old dates and in particular dates when you weren't alive. At least I have that. Yeah. (laughs) But I think what's going to be scary is when we start reading dates where we were alive, but they're still long ago. So like 2008, if you think about it, it seems recent, but it's 10 years ago, like not quite 10. That's true. But imagine when it's like sixty years ago and you're like, oh, I remember 2008. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway. Gosh, sorry, maybe that was a bit grim for the Ruby Book Club podcast, but. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, no, because I, when I saw 2008, I was thinking, where was I in yeah. 2008? What was I doing? Could I
1: have invented <laughs> the Murmur
0: app? Like <laughs> when you start comparing yourself to,
1: <laughs> to people in these books,
0: yeah, that's going to be a sad time.
1: Amazing. Okay, so now we have experiment 7 3 using objects as keys in a hash. I don't know why I read it like that. It sounded, it sounded like I was doing <laughs> introducing a game show or something. And mm-hmm. now we have experiment 7-3. Right. Mm-hmm. So in this section, Pat is asking, at the moment, the hash function returns a random integer each time. But what if we return the same integer for every data value that we input? So the hash function returns the same thing. And so as you can probably guess, well every time we add a key value it's going to be assigned to the same bin and so we're going to end up with a really long linked list of entries in one bin and so he demonstrates that in figure 7-10 where we've got the 11 bins and under bin 4 so i guess in this example the hash function always returns 4 we have entry pointed to another entry pointed to another entry and it's just a long list of entries and so pat says you know This would take Ruby a long time to look through this list because Ruby would have to go one element at a time checking to find the key that you're looking for. And so Pat wants to prove that this is indeed the case. And he brings back an experiment that we've looked at before but makes a modification to it. So we refer to experiment 7-1, retrieving a value from hashes of varying sizes. And he said, what we're going to do is instead of random numbers for the keys, we're going to use instances of a class that Pat himself is defined so we're going to look at example 7-6 which says measuring how long it takes to retrieve an element from hashes of wildly different sizes and this is the same as example 7-1 but we're using instances of key object as keys so I'm not going to read through the code but what's happening is we're defining an empty class called key object and so we define that and we define one method called equals question mark which takes the argument other and that just calls super And the reason why we have this is because it's the method that Ruby needs in order to search the target key properly in order to find when you've got a match. And because we're not going to do anything interesting, we're just going to call super in the first instance. And then what we do is we use these instances of key object as keys for the hash value. And so we look at figure 7-11. And so this is the time taken to retrieve 10,000 values as we have varying hash sizes. So we have hash sizes from zero all the way up to 1 million and 10,000 times we retrieve uh, a value from that. And we see that it's all pretty much the same whether you've got a hash with one element or a million elements. So using objects as keys doesn't slow down Ruby. It doesn't make a difference. Now what we're gonna do in example 7-7, it's the same code, but this time inside the key object class, we define the hash function. Or I guess we redefine it because we can overwrite it. And this time, within class Key Object, we've got def hash, and the body of that method reads four. So that means that any time we call the hash function, it doesn't matter what key you pass in; it's just going to return bin four. And so I think we can recall Figure Seven Dash Ten, where we know it's going to happen. We're going to just have a long list of entries all under bin four. So Figure Seven Dash Twelve shows the chart of the time taken to achieve 10,000 values. And so what we see is, before, where everything was taking milliseconds, we now have things taking thousands of milliseconds, which, as Pat says, means we're hitting actual seconds. One, two... And it's funny because when you think about it, one second, on doesn't sound like a lot, but in perspective, yeah. it's so many more times how long it normally takes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. for example... If we have a hash that has 10,000 elements, it takes over 1.6 seconds to load the 10,000 values, so to check each of them. And if we were to test with larger and larger hashes, Pat says we'd get to minutes or hours to load all the values. And so, as we already know, what's happening is that Ruby is going down that long list one at a time saying, Are you the key I want? Are you the key I want? Are you Mm -hmm. the key I want? And I think one second to go through 10,000 things, okay, maybe almost two, it's still pretty quick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I guess imagine if you had those sort of operations multiple times in a large code base, then it would be ridiculous.
0: Yeah. And I'm also imagining, you know, we're talking about basically like saving objects, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you think about, you know, running through a method where there might be several objects, and then there's a control, especially in the context of like a Rails app, there's a controller. Like there's so many other processes that are happening that if saving one value is going to take one second, that can add up really quickly. Mm, Definitely. So next we talk about hash optimization in Ruby 2.0. And this was really interesting. So here we talk about how starting with version 2.0, Ruby introduced a new optimization to make hashes work even faster, which is essentially that um, we kind of skip a lot of the stuff that we just talked Mm -hmm. about. So for hashes that contain six or fewer elements... Ruby avoids calculating the hash value um, entirely and it just saves the hash data in an array, which is kind of how we started when we initially talked about how Ruby used to do things. It did things in an array and then the array was too small and it made it bigger and blah blah blah. And so in a sense, we have gone back to that in a specific situation um, where we know that it's just a really small number of values and we think it'll be faster. And so in this situation, these are called packed hashes. So we see this in figure seven 13 where we have our r hash and table and then table is pointing to the st table. And then in st table, we have type real entries entries and it's entries that's pointing to a uh, a set of key value pairs, and it goes up to six six key value pairs. And Ruby two point x basically does this instead of creating a table of bins and then once that array is large enough then uh, on the seventh key value Ruby throws away this array entirely and creates the bin array and back I think it was last episode when we were looking at the performance of this and we were seeing like when the spikes happen we saw that there was a little spike at the seventh element and we said we're going to figure out like what that was about and now we know what that's about that's when the array gets tossed aside and we start with uh bins for the for the first time so that's where that small spike is coming by from. the
1: way I don't know about you but I, w- I wasn't thinking about it too hard but I was wondering ooh, I wonder why like what's happening on the seventh one yeah but it didn't if someone had asked me I wouldn't have said oh I bet it creates an array and then throws it away like it didn't no definitely it obvious, not I, I wasn't thinking that way
0: no I definitely would not have guessed that because in my mind because we'd we'd already said that the array system was inefficient it would never have occurred to me that we would go back to yeah. that for any reason so yeah totally agree and now we go to summary of hmm. what I'm pretty sure is the shortest there, chapter summary. we've read so far, like you said. Yeah. And so in the summary, wait, what did you say?
1: I said, hello there, summary.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, even when I was reading it and I turned the page, well, turned the page, I hit my right arrow key and I saw summary. <laughs> I, I think I visibly went, oh, okay. Did I did Yeah. I get parts? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So here we do a quick overview and it really is very quick. We say that at the beginning of the chapter, we learn how hash tables are able to return values very quickly. We talk about how Ruby automatically increases the size of that hash table, the more elements you add to it. And then now in in today's reading, we look at the importance of Ruby's hash function and how it's used across different Ruby versions and for different amounts of key value pairs that it saves. And I think that's about it.
1: It is indeed.
0: So, what was your score this week?
1: I don't wanna be like it was good reading. I'm thinking seven because, oh. mm-hmm. because it was good. But I think, and even just through discussing it with you now, I think it was more like you said the meterville, the the important things. I think we learned in the first section, and this section mm-hmm. was more yeah. of a like, okay, so now we know how it works. This is a bit more on how it works. And also we can suspect that this will happen. And look, it does happen. Like, for example, the experiment, it was like, you can imagine it's going to be very slow. Now I'll show you it'll be very slow. And so it was interesting. Mm-hmm. But I think there was there weren't any key... Um, I do not feel i progressed that much from the first half to the second half, given yes. we've read a whole chapter. and mm-hmm. But I, the, the optimization thing in Ruby was good. I think it was interesting. But yeah, that's where I'm at. I think I'm going to go with the seven
0: you yeah I'm debating between a six or seven for similar reasons I feel like this reading wasn't it wasn't like mind-blowing it wasn't like oh my goodness you know it's kind of like okay cool let's continue with the thing that we talked about um it also just wasn't what I thought it was going to be so initially I was thinking okay we're gonna dig into the actual hash function and what it looks like and you know Same. like the how does the algorithm work and that kind of thing and the fact that it's you know as as pat put it a very complex c function maybe it's a good thing mm-hmm. we didn't go through it and maybe i would have found it overwhelming mm-hmm. i don't know but um but i was I, i'm still kind of curious about like how how that actually works and how they came up with it especially cuz we talked about that murmur hash thing and how that was a recent invention 2008 so it made me wonder like hmm so what were the different iterations on that and why did we decide to adopt austin's in 2008 so it kind of it prompted more questions about for me the thing that i was most interested in um and we didn't really get to dig into it that much um so yeah i think i'm gonna go with a six six for me okay so we want to know what did you think of the reading this week tweet us your score at ruby book club and tell us how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project see you next week
1: cheerio